All right. Good morning. Merry Christmas. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. If you want to make your way to that place in your scripture, before we do that, I want to commemorate this flower that I've just brought out. This pink rose stands as a uh, celebration and a reminder that Amelia Joy Olam was born to Timothy and Ashley Olam on Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. She weighed in at six pounds and is 19 inches long. And Amelia's rival has her many family members rejoicing and thanking God for his goodness. So we can thank God for Amelia Joy joining us. And uh, her parents are grateful that they get the child tax deduction for the entire year. (laughs) So there's that. Good for them. Let's pray before we jump into the scripture this morning. God, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for the joy it is to celebrate you and your arrival to save sinners like us. We pray that you would give us the joy of knowing you better, that you would give us the joy and privilege of enjoying the warmth of the season while having our hearts filled with the recognition recognition that you came for us when everything had gone wrong. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How someone does something tells us about them. How somebody does something tells us about them. So just for an example to tell you what I'm uh, getting at here. Uh, I could tell you what somebody does. You uh, go over to somebody's home or you go to a restaurant and your host serves you dinner. So that's what. That's the what. What somebody has done. They have served you dinner. But the how they do that tells you a little bit about them. So I could say that your host served you dinner, so your host came out with cold leftovers on a dirty plate and slammed it on the table in front of you and stormed out of the room. So that's the how that they did it, and it tells you a little bit of something about them. You might not know why, but you you certainly know that they weren't excited about serving you a meal. So how they did it is just as important as what they actually did. Whereas you may go to another home or visit a restaurant and they may serve your favorite meal on uh, expensive china and while you're enjoying your meal, they attend to your needs while topping off your beverage and making sure that the room is inviting and enjoyable. And that how tells you a little bit of something about that person, that they were looking forward to the opportunity to serve and meet your needs. So, So how somebody does something Tells, this, tells us about them. So in, when we think about the celebration of Christmas, the first advent of Jesus, Jesus coming, we could tell each other what the what is. And we say Christmas is a time that we celebrate Jesus was born for you, right? Yes, it is. It's not your question. Christmas time, we celebrate that Jesus was born for you. That's the, that's the what. The question then is, how did he do it? Because that tells us a lot about him. We know he was born for us. That's what the Bible tells us. But the question is, how did he do that? And what does that reveal to us about what he is is up to? Let me read the first couple of verses in Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, 
to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So David and Mary make their way from Nazareth, about 90 miles to the south, to the city of Bethlehem, and they do so because Joseph is from the line of David, which would mean that he would need to register in the city of David, where everybody else from the line of David would be registering, and that would be the city of Bethlehem, where David was, was from. But a lot has happened before they made this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. First of all, Mary has become pregnant. An angel told Mary that she would become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the child within her would be the Christ. So she was pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit, not because of her relationship with Joseph. And it's really important for us to understand that this child in her is called the Son of God. But it doesn't mean that Jesus began when he was born. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always been. In fact, John tells us in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in fact, John goes on to say that all things that are exist because the Son, who was born Jesus, created them. So Jesus was born, but he has always been. He was not born because Mary became pregnant. He was born because he decided to be born as a human. So the angel announces to Mary that the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Son will take on humanity, fully God, fully man, and this will occur within Mary as he will be born a human, and Joseph's involvement is not necessary. However, Joseph is given information about this. This all happens before their trip to Bethlehem. Joseph decides when he discovers that Mary is pregnant that maybe he ought to divorce her. Why? Because she's been unfaithful to him. And an angel advises Joseph, I think you might be familiar with this story, don't worry about marrying her because she has done nothing. She is pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. The child that is within her is the Christ, and he has come to save people from their sins. So Joseph, be sure to give him the name Jesus. So Joseph takes Mary as his wife. They don't come together as husband and wife until after Jesus is born. And then they make their way, this long journey down to Bethlehem. She is pregnant with the Son of God. Joseph has taken her as his wife in spite of this. And they're making their way down to Bethlehem. When they make their way down to Bethlehem, Jesus is born. It, it says so right at the end of that verse, right at the end of that section. Verse 6. While they were there, that is Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. I like how matter-of-fact it is. I've never given birth. I don't know if it's that matter-of-fact. Oh, it's time to give birth. I'll just give birth now. It was the normal kind of birth, any other kind of birth that you have either uh, been a part of or observed. It was that way, the normal amount of ruckus. While they were there, the time gave for her, came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the end. So the, the child is born there. 
their family home is so crowded that there is no place for them to stay, and so they stay in the place where the animals are kept. There is no crib where the animals are kept, and so once the baby has been fed and they're hoping he's going to sleep for a little bit, they lay him in a manger, and this humble birth is intended to tell us something about how Jesus was born. More than that, after a time, the wise men came to visit, as we saw as displayed by our actors this morning. These wise men show up, and they make connection with Herod because the wise men assumed that a king being born would be talked about among the highest areas of rule in Jerusalem and Judea. Herod knows nothing of it. They make their way to Bethlehem and encounter this family. The Magi come and worship Herod plots the destruction of Jesus. Jesus and his family flee to Egypt. After some time, they make their way home, and instead of settling in Bethlehem, they end up in the backwater, backwoods, hick town of Nazareth. And this is where Jesus spends his years growing up. Jesus was born for you, and the purpose of his birth is this, redemption and reconciliation, the forgiveness of your sins that you would once again have right relationship with God. The nature of his birth, that is humble incarnation, being born as a human in the most humiliating of circumstances are intended to tell us something about what he is like. This is what he is like. Jesus was born for you to give you some good news. And Jesus is the kind of savior that gives good news to people in bad times. Isn't that the best time to get good news? Jesus is the kind of Savior that gives good news to people in bad times. And so Jesus in his humble birth, his humiliating birth, communicates to us not just merely that he was born for us, he does do that, but he was born for us that we would hear good news in the worst of time. Let me give you four pieces of good news we learn from what happened, Jesus' birth, and how he was born. Are you ready? We're going to do it anyway. Jesus was born for you to give you some good news. So good news is this. Number one, you don't have to find Jesus. He finds you. That's good news. He came to us. Another way to put us. When God put it, when God decided to save us, he sent us his son, not a map. This is where most people get really confused about what it means to be religious or to have religion. Most people think religion is a map where God sends us a giant guidebook that's completely incomprehensible. And if we follow it to the T, we are going to somehow stumble upon God himself. So that's what we assume God is like. God sends us a road map to find him. Then we start following said map, and it drives us crazy. Number one, it's really, really difficult to understand. And the bits we do understand appear to be virtually impossible to accomplish. I'm talking about the Bible. You don't know if I'm talking. I'm talking. Have you read it? It's fantastic. However, if it's a road map to tell you to how, how to find God, it's impossible to accomplish. And the good news is this. God did not send us a map. He sent us his son. He sent us Jesus to do all the things that the word tells us to do. So instead of having to find the way to God, God just shows up. That's the way Jesus comes. 
He is born for us to say, you don't have to search high and low to find me. I will search high and low to find you. So he brings good news to people in the worst of times, people who are searching for God but unable to find him. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. I will find you. So the Bible is not merely a way for us to know how to get to God. What it is, it tells us who God is. And the Bible tells us he comes first. He comes to us first. He does it all the way through the Bible. Think about it. When the people were in Egypt, you remember that story? The people of Israel were stuck in Egypt. They went out to the wilderness to find God so they could get rescued, right? No. God came to them and rescued them and took them out to the wilderness so that they could know him. That's the way it's always been done. After Adam and Eve sinned, they scurried as quick as they could to find God, to tell him they blew it. Have you read this story? It's like right at the beginning. Certainly you got that far in your, your one year through the Bible expedition. <laughs> Chapter three, it's not that far. It's like day two. It might be day one. I don't know. No, who had to, who had to go in? God came walking through the garden in the cool of the day. They're hiding in the bushes, wearing the bushes. And God calls out to them. Hey, where are you guys? It's walk time. We're going to go for a walk. And Adam says, we're naked. Who told you you were naked? See, God came to them. They didn't go to seek for him. And this has always been the case. What did Jesus do? What Jesus did is he was born for us to bring us some good news. And good news, he came looking for us because we never would have gone looking for him. That's good news. Second thing, Jesus came as a man. Jesus was born as a human. When he was born, he is now fully God and fully human. This is really, really important. The whole plan was for Jesus to be born as a human so he could do what we could not do. He lived according to God's ways perfectly so that the end of his life he could give himself as a substitute to pay for our sin. And then having risen from the dead, all who would trust him would receive eternal life. So he had to come as a fitting substitute. We see this in athletic events all the time. If the basketball game is going on and it is time for one player to come out and another player to go in, when the player comes out, he does not call into the crowd for volunteers. Who does the coach call? One of the other teammates. He has to meet particular criteria, has to be on the team, has to be wearing the uniform, has to be on the roster. In order for a substitute to come in, he has to be a fitting substitute. So if Jesus is going to come, he has to be born as a human. He wasn't born as an angel. He wasn't born as a sort of human. He wasn't born as someone who looks like a human but isn't really. He was born as a human so he could be a fitting substitute for us. So the good news is Jesus came as a human to do for us what we could not do, to earn what we could not earn. He came to give us righteousness, a right relationship with God, with, with nothing between us and God, and he came to give us peace with God, that we can go and have conversations with God and never wonder if everything is okay. That's what Jesus gives us freely to all who would trust him. So that's good news. Jesus came as a human. If he didn't come as a human, you are not saved because you require a fitting substitute 
to have eternal life, right relationship with God, and peace, which he fully paid for with his perfect life and his fitting sacrifice. Jesus was warned for you to give you good news. Another piece of good news. Are you ready? Have you had enough good news? I can quit. All right, here we go. Jesus was born into complicated situations. His life was complicated. He lived in Rome while living in Judea and Israel. His parents were faithful to the old covenant law and following the traditions of his people, and yet at the same time, he came to fulfill the old covenant law so that we could have worship with God in spirit and in truth. He came to fulfill the regulation so that now we go to God not based on regulation, but rather we go to God based on faith in the payment of Christ's sacrifice. He lived in complicated religious times. He lived in complicated family times. He lived in complicated friendships. He had friends, his primary friends were the disciples. I mentioned this before, I'll mention it again. Remember, Jesus knew everything they were thinking. Were there times in the Bible where Jesus would disclose to people that he knew what they were thinking? It happened several times. I've often said, how hard would it have been to be the disciples knowing at any given time Jesus knew what you were thinking? But I thought more about that, and that's not the worst of it. What would it have been like to be Jesus at any given time knowing what those yahoos were thinking? And these are your friends. Walking down the road, he's just healed a bunch of lepers and tells them he's on his way to Jerusalem in order to die a sacrifice that they may have right relationship with God, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. And they're back there mulling over in their head, who's the awesomest? And he doesn't turn around and smack them. And then there's Judas. Then there's Judas. Do you think Jesus loved Judas? Absolutely. Do you think it wrecked his heart knowing that Judas was going to betray him with a kiss. Of course, the psalmist anticipated that moment in the psalms and said, oh, if it would, would have been an enemy to betray me, but it wasn't. It was you, the one with whom I have broken bread that has betrayed me. So Jesus was born into complicated situations. His birth, his family, his community, his historical setting are all designed to let us know he saves complicated people. Have you ever thought about that in your life? My, my life is not what I would describe as simple and easy. Jesus came as a human into complicated times to give us good news. He has sought out people, humans, who have complicated lives and difficult questions and Wonders and doubts and hopes and disappointments and not sure of whether or not it's real, but at the same time I know it is. And Jesus comes for complicated people like us. That's good news. Sometimes we think Jesus came for just simple people who have no questions or doubts. I'm not certain if those kinds of people exist. But if you're the kind of person who wakes up in the morning with questions and doubts and concerns and wonders... Maybe, I don't even know if Jesus fits into my kind of life, and Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm, I'm here for complicated people. That's good news. Finally, this. Jesus was born for you to give you some new, good news, because good news, Jesus can be trusted because he kept all of his promises. If you look in the text about Jesus' birth in Matthew, you'll see this phrase over and over again. 
This happened so that which was spoken of in the prophets would be fulfilled. Jesus comes and on purpose, even from the beginning moments of his life as a human, he is making sure all of his promises are kept and he kept every single one. He didn't come and sort of keep his promises. He didn't do the best he could to keep his promises. Jesus can be, can be trusted because he has kept every promise he made in the Old Testament. He is the son of David. He will rule forever. He forgives those who trust him. He gives eternal life to those who trust him. His kingdom will never end, and he will be king over a kingdom which flourishes forever, and that's good news. Has he ever broken a promise? And he's not going to start. He who began a good work in you, have you heard this verse before? Will be faithful to complete it. Have you ever wondered if maybe he's on break? Have you noticed? You're going to faithful to complete it, Lord. How about we accelerate this process a little bit? Is he going to break his promise to you now? No, he's never broken his promise. He's never going to. That's good news. Jesus was born for us. That's the what. But the how tells us something about him. He came for us in our worst of times, that is, in our sin and rebellion, and he gives us good news. I will make a way for you to have right relationship with God and peace forever. Jesus was born for you to give you good news. Let's look at the shepherds beginning in verse 8. Jesus came to offer good things in concrete ways, that is to purchase redemption and forgiveness of sins for anybody who would seek him by faith. But here's the other thing. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to experience joy. Jesus was born for you, that's the what, but how does he do it? This is important. He does it to bring us joy. Now, you know all about this at Christmas time. If you have children or grandchildren or a significant other, a boyfriend or girlfriend or a fiance or a spouse, you buy them something and you want to watch them open the gift because you're anticipating their expression as they open it, right? Because you want to see how excited they are to get that vacuum cleaner <laughs> they had been yearning for. Don't do that, guys. I always give you a, don't do it. I know it's tempting. I, I'm going to go so far, even if it's on the list. No, it's okay. Guess what? It's not okay. All right, get something else. And a blender's not something else. Moving on. <laughs> this is what Jesus wants. He wants us to look at what he did and how we did it and say, oh, this is good news. And that for that examination, for that beholding of what he is doing to elicit in us a response that is emotional. For us to see what he's doing and how he's doing it and for it to, to bring up within us a sense of joy. A sense of, of gratitude that's filled with wonder. Look at the visit of the angels to the shepherds. In the same region, this is back in Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Good news of great joy. That's by definition what good news is. If good news in some way doesn't bring 
great joy, it's not good news. It's just news. I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the shepherds, after seeing this display from the angels, want to go and see this. And being the theologians they are, they want to be able to safely identify exactly who the Messiah is. If you're going to decide to be able to figure out who the Messiah is, you need to have a working knowledge of that which will determine who the Messiah is. The Messiah being the anointed one, the Christ, the Savior of the people of Israel, the Savior of the world, the King of the Jews, the King on the throne of David. How will these shepherds discover who the Messiah is? Well, guess what? The angels told them. It was a deep and abiding theological truth. Baby, manger. That's it. Shepherds are excited. We know what a baby is. We also know what a manger is because we're shepherds. This is good news. And so they go and they find the baby in the manger. And this, it's just like the angel said. This is the Messiah, the son of David, the king who has come to save his people. This humble people. See, if, if the angels would have gone to the high priest or if the angels would have gone to the political parties, they would have had to provide some much more comprehensive and theological and difficult way of identifying the Messiah. But instead, these angels show up to shepherds and instead of reading to them all of Isaiah and telling them to figure out what they're supposed to be looking for, what do the angels say to these humble shepherds? Baby, manger. Just what the shepherds need. Simple, straightforward, understandable for shepherds, and they're filled with great joy. Not merely because now they know where to find the Messiah, but the angels clearly, on purpose, decided to give them good news in a way they would be able to hear it. The angels came in such a way that the good news was understandable, and it brought these shepherds great joy. They scurried off. Who knows what happened to their sheep? I don't know. They just left. Who needs sheep when you got a Savior? They make their way, and they find the child, and it what they're astonished by is that everything the angels had told them, when they discovered the baby in the manger, everything was precisely the way in which the angels had uh, told them would be happening. Verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying, that is, to Mary and Joseph, that had been told to them concerning this child. All who heard wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary treasured all these things, pondering in their heart. What did the shepherds do? Verse 20, here we go. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. What were the shepherds doing? Worshiping God filled with joy. Glorifying God, not because it's Christmas Eve service, not because somebody told them they're supposed to raise their hands, not somebody told them because they were going to sing out loud. Why were they glorifying and worshiping God? Because they felt like it. Because God brought good news to them they could understand. They saw the good news in real life. 
and it moved them to great joy. Jesus was born for you. And the way in which he does it is a way in which we can connect with and understand. And the goal is that we can have joy. Let me give you four ways we can have joy. First of all, a Savior was born for you. And here I'm using you in the singular. You individually. When Jesus came, he had in mind you personally and your need for salvation. As it turns out, we all need salvation because we're sinners, but we're all unique in how we like to be sinners. All of us are different. And we like to sort of figure we're not that bad of a sinner because we try to come up with two or three, maybe a dozen people who are worse than we are. And then we meet somebody who's better than us and we feel terrible. Because what if the line that Jesus saved is down where they are and not where we are? Good news. Jesus, when he came, was thinking of you individually in the manner in which you have rebelled against God and said, I have good news for, for you. And you're saying to me, maybe in your mind, because you might have a history in your past of shame and regret, things you wish you hadn't done or said, and you wonder, could God ever forgive me for these kinds of things? You must be aware, when Jesus was born as a, born as a human, he had you in mind, and he knew about the stuff. That's good news. That's good news. Wait, you, you showed up for someone like me. Right. But do you know what I've done? Oh, I probably know it better than you. And you're forgiven when you trust me. And this is to bring us great joy. Jesus came with us in mind. Your situation, your difficulties, your complications, your kinds of brokenness. And Jesus says, I have a fix. I am your sacrifice. You can enjoy redemption and joy and peace with me. Second reason we can have great joy. God has come in himself to bring us terms of peace for a relationship with him. And he says, I will bear all of the costs in order to acquire this peace. God himself comes and says, I want to have peace with you. In order for there to be peace, there has to be a, an accounting for the brokenness that exists between us. Any peace that has been signed off after, at the end of a war has terms of peace, doesn't it? Two great generals will meet on a battleship, and they will sign an agreement of peace, and there will be terms of that peace. This uh, losing uh, country will not maintain a standing army or will not uh, keep certain kinds of weapons or has to have a certain kind of governance. These are terms of peace. God shows up to us, and we stand at the negotiating table, and God says, here is what is required for there to be peace between you and I, and what I have decided is I will bear all the costs of that peace for you. I myself will pay for the cost of your rebellion and your brokenness. Even though he is God in the highest, even though it is not necessary for him to have a relationship with us, he doesn't die if he doesn't have a relationship with us, he is just a good God who comes to save people like us because he loves us and in so doing decides on himself to bear the costs of our peace. This is great joy. Jesus himself has borne on himself what it takes for there to be peace with those like us. Third thing, have joy. Fear is no longer needed. There is nothing keeping you from a personal connection with God through the righteousness that comes through Jesus. Think about it this way. Maybe you've put your faith in Christ for salvation. I assume a lot of us here have. Have you ever done this? 
And again, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the people you're with. Have you ever done something bad? Yeah, okay. And then you wonder if God will ever pay attention to you again. Because it was, you know, it was bad. I mean, it was like make the news bad. Right? And then have you ever wondered, because you know what it is. Well, well, could God ever really look at me the same way again? Could God ever look at me and see a, a son or daughter of the king? It, it's always now going to be son or daughter of the king with an asterisk. Yeah, you're in because what am I going to do? I kept a promise, but, but I'm annoyed and I'm going to make sure you know it. That's what we think. But here's the thing. Have joy. Fear is no longer needed. There is nothing keeping you from right relationship with God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Because Jesus paid the penalty on the cross. And you do not have to bear the price for your sin. You have right relationship with God because this is how Jesus came. He decided to bear the the price of our peace. We cannot undo what he has done. Now, somebody is here conniving, and they're saying, well, good, I can do whatever I want. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that which killed you? And why would you want to do that which harmed and hurt and injured your Savior? We seek holiness and righteousness because we love Jesus, not to maintain our peace with him. Our peace with God is maintained because Jesus is awesome. Okay, last thing, have joy. Just like the shepherds, everything is just as God said it was going to be. Everything is just as God has said it was going to be. He is faithful. He is true. He keeps his word to save sinners, and he gives forgiveness who will all receive him. Everything has happened precisely as he planned for it to happen. Now, I see you arguing with me. How do I know you're arguing with me? You're awake. Well, most of you. What do you mean it's happening exactly the way he intended for it to be? I don't know if you noticed, Greg, but it's been 2,000 years. Hello, anytime. Aren't you glad he didn't come back after 1,500 years? Why? You wouldn't get in on the action. He waited 2,000 years, partly, so you could be a part of it. You're welcome. But now that you're a part of it, you're like, okay, now you can come back. Who cares about whoever's coming next? My generation should be the last one. And we say, well, but it seems like a long time. Maybe he's away. Maybe he forgot. Maybe he's never really coming. Maybe it's a fairy tale. But all this has been planned. Jesus said, this is going to begin from the very first generation. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines. One kingdom will rise against another kingdom. Did that happen in the first century? Yeah, second century? Third? Fourth? Okay, we got it. 20th century? 21st? Yeah, we're doing it pretty good. Same thing. On repeat. What did Peter say about the work of God? God does not do things slow as you might consider slowness. A a day for God is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So if you think about it that way, how long has it been since Jesus ascended to heaven? A couple of days. And you're impatient. Why would God continue to wait? The Bible tells us. Why? That by his grace, more might encounter this Christ who brings good news and great joy. Would you be willing to wait a little bit longer that more might encounter this Christ who brings good news and great joy? Well, it depends on the day. Some days, yeah, I'd love to wait a little bit longer. Other days, who cares? Come. But everything is just as God said it was going to be. Everything was just as God said it was going to be when Jesus was born, and it's been going that way ever since. 
we can have great joy. God is still in control. He never went on break. Everything is happening precisely as he meant for it to happen. Jesus was born for you to give you some good news and to bring you joy. What does Jesus do? He's born. He lives, he dies, and he's risen from the dead. But, but how he did it, he didn't do it with an attitude, did he? He didn't do it angry, telling us we didn't deserve it. He did it humbly so that we could recognize him and hear him. He's the one that came for us. Instead of sending us a roadmap, he sent us himself. And he gives us good news that's intended to, to fill us with great joy. Three things to think about, and we'll close with this. As we celebrate Christmas, our celebrations and our traditions are intended to remind us that God brings us good news. Our celebrations with friends and family and watching the specials we enjoy on TV and opening gifts and enjoying feasts, these are intended to remind us of the goodness of God's generosity to us to send us the gift of Jesus. The question is, when you think about God, do you see God as the bearer of good news, or do you suppose God only brings bad news? And how you view God will determine how you see his gift. See, if you look at the story of Christ's birth, we see God who brings good news intended to bring joy. But sometimes we think that God is just sitting next to us waiting for the opportunity to smack us upside the head, tell us how terrible we are. There is somebody who does that. It's not God. It's the devil. Your relationship with Christ is described this way. He sits at the right hand of the Father doing what? Telling the Father how terrible. Can you believe I had to die for that, Yahoo? No, what does he say? He makes intercession for us. So you blow it. Why? Because it's a weekday. Jesus turns to the Father and says, paid for. The accuser turns to the Father and says, I can't believe you would die for that, Yahoo. If he does it again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't forgive him this time. And Jesus pulls out the list of all the times you're going to blow it again because he already knows it's coming and says, I've already paid for this stuff too. Why don't you go get a Coke or something from the vending machine? Take a break. Christmas reminds us that God brings good news. If you think of God as a bad news God, you've missed how Jesus came. Secondly, Christmas celebrations remind us that God wants us to experience his joy. I just wonder, and this is a hard thing to think about, but just when you consider your contemplations of, the, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, when you contemplate the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are you, are you moved to joy or are you moved to annoyance? And you know people like this in your life. There's some people in your life where you think of that person and you go, oh man, I can't, I'm look, really looking forward to the get-together this evening because I haven't been able to catch up with my buddy for a while. And it feels, I can't wait. Then you hear, oh, so-and-so is going to be there too. Oh, yeah, I got the COVID. <laughs> yeah, just whatever, I'm not going. And we know that's what people are like. We got some people that elicit in us great joy and other people, we don't want to see them for whatever reason. So I want you to think about God. When you think of God, what, what response happens in your heart? The way Jesus came, his humble birth, seeking the shepherds, 
Humiliation in Egypt and Nazareth was intended to communicate to you that he was coming with good news that brought you joy. And if joy isn't your response, that's an opportunity to go before God and say, I know the problem isn't with you, God. The problem's with my heart. Help me to see the joy you have given me through Jesus Christ. God's good news and joy are specifically rooted, rooted, I should say, in Jesus, our Redeemer. Jesus comes to save us from our sin so we can have joy. That's what the angel told Joseph. Name him Jesus because he will save us from our sin. There's lots of things we want God to save us from, and by his grace, he hears our prayer, and sometimes he helps us of those other things. But the thing that he wanted us to know about to bring joy is this. He has come to save you from your sin. If you've never stopped and said, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I trust what Jesus did for, to forgive me. This would be the time to do it, to receive his gift by joy and say, my life is going this way, God, and I know it's not your way. I want you to forgive me. And maybe this will be the first Christmas you celebrate with Jesus, the Savior, who came to know you as a forgiven son or daughter of the King. Jesus, we thank you for the joy it is to know you. God, we are grateful that we live in this place, that we can celebrate your birth with, with joy. We can enjoy family and friends. We can enjoy exchanging uh, gifts. We can enjoy getting together to eat good food. We can pull out pictures of Christmases in the past. We can reflect on those who have gone home and remember the joy they brought us. And you have given this, this time and in this place the great joy of celebrating together. And God, I would pray that you would take all of those fantastic traditions and remind us again that you are God who brings good news. That you intended for us to be moved with joy because Jesus came for us. And he is born in humble circumstances so that we could see him and know him. And he spoke to us in words we could hear and, and relate to. And he took care of our biggest problem, sin and death. So God, I pray as we celebrate that you would give us great warmth and great times. But I pray most of all, you would rekindle again in us a deep love and joy for Jesus. But God, I would especially pray for those who are here who have not yet put their faith in Christ for forgiveness. I pray in this moment, your spirit would open their eyes to see the goodness and joy of knowing you through Jesus. That even here, they would trust you for forgiveness. We thank you for your love and your, and your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you stand up as we close with a song?